Welcome to the Board Game Barbecue, a virtual community, a physical community, and a podcast over 100 episodes strong. If you would like to join our community, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, or YouTube, and keep your eye out for events we run all across Australia at regular intervals and also for online events. A big thank you to our sponsors and patrons for your support. This wouldn't be possible without you. But now it's time for the podcast. Kick back, relax, and enjoy the barbecue. The Board Game Barbecue, brought to you by addicts, not experts. Hello and welcome to the Board Game Barbecue Podcast, episode 106. Uh, I've got three guests with me today, a couple of regulars in Mike and Sarah. How are you going, guys? Good, buddy. Yeah, not too bad, apart from my bathroom mishap, which was me. I think I got soap somehow into my toothbrush and... um yeah, let's just say I had a pungent toothbrushing experience this morning. <laughs> I think it would have been more fun if you just said bathroom mishap and then left it at that. <laughs> let the just listeners you imagine the, the decide on what the rest is. Uh, the funny Maybe thing is, is that I've also had a bathroom mishap today, but um, that was me deciding that a great place to keep my phone would be in the bottom of the toilet bowl. So, um, mm. yeah, no, it's been an interesting, interesting morning. There yep. we go. I've my bathroom experiences have been all successful this morning, in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> Well done. Congrats uh, on that. Thanks. Thanks. That's, I'm proud. That's not the start I was expecting, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Board Game Barbecue. And we have a host, uh, a guest with us tonight, which is Armando Canales, otherwise affectionately known as Mo. How are you going? Good. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you for coming onto the show with us. Um, now, if you're not familiar with Mo's work, probably the most uh, recognizable work that uh, he's done in recent times is uh, a game called The Cost, which we'll definitely be speaking about uh, shortly. Uh, we might even just start there with Momo. Did you want to just let everyone know uh, who you are, what you've done in the hobby, and a little bit of a background? Okay. Uh, let's see. I Like you said, I'm most known for The Cost, but let's say I am also known for making the board game group on Facebook, which is one of the older groups were about, I'd say, really close to 50,000 members right now. That's crazy. Yeah. That's um, huge. And other than that, just designing board games and playing a lot of games. A lot. Nice. So the board game group, I was just um, looking at that earlier. Yeah, it's a lot of members. And we've been really happy with how our community has come along. And we're like, yeah, we're like, we're nearly at, we're nearly at 3,000. And you're at like... Nearly at fifty thousand. It's 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 amazing. How long has that been running for? Um, I started it back in two thousand eleven, but okay. things didn't get rolling in t- until like two thousand sixteen. So mm-hmm. before two thousand sixteen, we probably had less than a thousand members most times, wow. and then after that, this it just went crazy. What can you attribute that to? Do you think? Do you know how it grew? Well, um, I think, well, one, the hobby grew and the other part was, um, some has to do with uh, the BGG, I guess, format. Sometimes if you're new to the hobby, the way that it used to look was very intimidating and people were looking for alternative ways to talk about board games and something that was more immediate than like a forum. So that's where we found a good place to be right in there. And then also... Uh, the more you interact with each other and the more like a community 
and I guess a, a group that lets everybody in, a very inclusive group, the more people you attract, and it just snowballs from there. Yeah, that's great. Um, what was your sort of main aim with the group? Was it just to have that, like you say, a platform for people that didn't, um, they didn't know BGG well, or they were slightly more intimidated by that? Was that sort of the pure aim for it? Or was there some other reason as well to start it? Personally? Well, uh, it started because I, uh, okay, so I was in the board games like hardcore in the 90s. And then I got out for a little bit and then came back in. And during the early 2000s, I missed a few games that were published because I, I guess I took a hiatus from the community. Then I came back in and I was like more addicted than I ever was before. And I needed a place to talk. Um, I found the BGG forums just a little too slow. I would ask a question and I had to wait hours before I got an answer. And I just wanted an immediate way to talk about games but originally it, i wanted to make a a group just to talk about uh my favorite game at the time which was a dominant species well second favorite group i mean second favorite game i love that game so i needed a, a way to talk about that game because i was really addicted so i made a group in early 2011 to talk about just dominant species and we found ourselves talking about all the newest games instead so we just said, well, let's just make a new group and we'll just migrate everybody over there. And that's kind of how it started. Nice. Great. I love that. That's like the biggest compliment for a game. Like you started a, an entire group <laughs> just to talk about a game that you really loved. And there's well, the quite a few groups like that now, right? Because there's a Gloomhaven group. There's, you know, any game you can think of, there's like a Facebook group to discuss a particular game. Way back then, there there wasn't, and it's awesome that there is now, but I think Dominant Species itself is responsible for uh, – have you guys heard of um, Heavy Cardboard? Yes. Yeah, heavy Cardboard podcast. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty much responsible for starting Heavy Cardboard as well because they were also obsessed with that game. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things I love most about seeing the community sort of grow, uh, the sort of friendships that form from there and the relationships. Have you seen a lot of that sort of form in your group over time? Like, do you see a lot of people getting together due to your group bringing people together? Well, uh, well, actually, this is something I thought about when you were when I heard the numbers that you guys have in your group. Is that um, you? It was when we had like a thousand people. It was everybody knew each other and. Like uh, mm. I still have many of those same relationships. I think like last week, did you have a uh, Berkey on? Yeah. 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 So uh, that's how we became friends through the group. And now we're law. We talk all the time. Um, I don't know. Just early on, everybody was just, I guess, good friends as the group gets larger, you have less and less and less community and it's more of a scene. So, you know, we've seen a lot of relationships. We've seen just a lot of interesting things happen in the hobby. But as the group gets bigger, now it's everyone's just talking about, you know, the latest game that comes out and less about um, the community. But it's still, you know, great and fun. It's just different because there's so many people. You can't meet everybody. Exactly. That's the sort of the evolution that's going to come from a group your size. You know, it's 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 hard to sort of recognize names when there's, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people in there. It's going to get a bit harder to sort of recognize everyone, I'm sure. Right. And then there's an influx of people every day. And then there's, you know, it, it can be somebody's bad day. And I don't know. It's just one of those things that as you get 
bigger, you go through those growing pains of no longer being as close as you once were. But I, that happens in families, and it's just it's just the evolution of it. Have you had a chance to meet many other sort of people from your community in person? Like maybe when things were a bit calmer, did you go to game days and like meet up with some people from the community and play some games? Yeah, yeah. We would have like uh, there's BGG Con, which is I say local. It's eight hours away, but yeah. that happens in November, and we would have a. Um, I guess uh, meet up there and we would meet up at origins and just different people in the groups would take on the responsibility to set up the meetup and we would just all meet if we were there, you know, and stuff like that. And a lot of people have gone to each other's houses, you know, and made long travels and it's still uh, those early days that, that networking that we did, we're all still close friends. That's awesome. That's lovely. I was just saying to Steve before that I'm going to my friend's two-year-old birthday party later on today, and they met at our Saturday gaming group. (laughs) So Uh it's nice to see those relationships blossom. Um, So if if we can, um, I want to talk about the costs. (laughs) Maybe it's just me being selfish. uh, No, I'm I'm hanging for it too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I actually haven't had a chance to play this yet, but uh, when Sarah sizzled it uh, a while ago now, on our show, I just I am so engrossed in this story because um, just so that a little bit of a background, I used to work uh, about twenty five minutes away from a uh, abandoned town that was a blue asbestos mining town, um, and because you're because I'm so close to that, of course you you, know, you you look up and see the history of that place, and it's it's just terrorizing. It's you know most of the people who live there are now dead, and they're dead because of the blue asbestos mine and what was in their lungs and the methylacine, I can't remember how you pronounce it, but, uh, and not only that, but it was more that the pitchers, until they realised that this was a bad thing, they treated it like it was sand. They, the kids' sand pits were made out of the tailings from the blue asbestos and they used to have, like on Australia Day, they used to have competitions where who could fill a 44-gallon drum with this stuff the quickest. So this dust is just in the air everywhere. Mm. And, like, in hindsight, you look back at that and go, that's that's terrible and and you read more about how the fact that the companies knew about it and didn't stop it straight away, you know, because they, they, it was a monetizing thing. So when Sarah was telling me about your game, I, I she was saying, like, it's kind of hard because you make these decisions based on finance rather than on welfare. And I just, I'm so interested in that. So, um, yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind just discussing how the theme of the cost came up and uh, whether it is a personal thing or whether it's just something that, um, you thought would work well with the mechanics that you'd created? Well, um, it was a long journey into actually putting the, the, the components together to make the original um, start of what was going to be the cost. But um, originally watching a documentary and actually uh, it, it spoke about a lot of the problems with asbestos, but it the big thing that hit me was that uh, Canada at the time um, was mining asbestos, but it was being regulated out. They were not allowed uh, to sell it locally. So what they were doing is they were mining and milling it and sending it to India. And India, because it was an emerging market and just because of the way their government set up, it's not regulated. And there, the dangers in India are not apparent to the common man and so you have Canada who knows that it's bad, 
is trying to regulate it out, but they have workers who are mining it. They have jobs to deal with and they have to export it. They have to sell it. And it's not up to them to uh, tell who they're selling it to, how to use it and to be responsible with it. They just sell it. And the emerging market can see it as a cheap way to uh, use this material. And the whole problem with asbestos is if it wasn't harmful to us, it would be an awesome material. It's, uh, you know, fireproof. It's, you know, you can make clothes out of it. I mean, it's just so many uses for it. But th this, this dynamic of how a country could know that it's bad and then sell it to another country Ooh. that it was not regulated in that. I thought, well, that that's a game that needs to be yeah. made. And, the more we went down the path of making the game, um, I started thinking about a lot of problems that I had as a, a blue collar worker. I started thinking about how this could be a metaphor for a lot of worker oppression, how we can show from the top down how this can happen, but at the same time show that it's a much more complex problem than right and wrong. It's much more complex. There's a lot of things that are involved. There's a lot of motives and you can't necessarily just stop the industry just because it's bad. There's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. And also from the bottom up, these deaths matter. It just takes a long time to see it. Hmm. And it was important to put that in the, in the game. I think that's some of what, what went into it. I hope I answered the question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you did. And when you say you like, that's a game, did you mean when you said that, do you mean that's, it needed to be a game because you wanted to tell that story or do you mean that something else by that? Oh, okay. So being a, I guess I'm, I'm a creative person mm. and, and I, Right now, my obsession is making board games, so I put that creativity towards board games. So whenever I see an interesting subject, I think about how to tell that in a game. So I'll say, oh, that's a game. Need to make that. Need to make those right. mechanisms yeah. into something people can experience. Mm -hmm. I, lo I love the idea how you sort of spoke about it being a metaphor as well, which is something I didn't think about because I also got very excited when hearing the sort of hard choices in this game, you know, whether to do the wrong thing and make more money or do the right thing, maybe make some less. But the way how you said it's a metaphor for how a lot of workplaces are where they might sacrifice doing something moral to make more money, you know, and everyone has that sort of choice and there's a cost with those choices. So I find that very interesting how you looked at it from that perspective as well. Well, I think it's important to obviously this this game is not an analog for how asbestos is mined. Instead, it's it's a way to show power dynamics. It's a way to show you know worker oppression. It's a way to show incentive. It's a way to show these things that are in play in businesses. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, we could have substituted out asbestos and put in just about any material, you know, zinc. We could have talked about yeah. uh, gold mining. We could have done uh, just about anything. 
One of the interesting things about it, and I think the reason that metaphor hits home so much when you play it, is that you're in that position of being the company and making those choices rather than being, you know, a worker or um, or another, you know, the other side of that. So, was that something that um, you wanted to do from the start? Was it were, were players always going to be the company, or did that, um, you know, emerge later? Uh, it was always going to be that way from the very, very beginning because that was for me the more complex story to tell uh the interesting thing is not to be on the the complete right the complete wrong the interesting thing is the gray areas and the way to tell the story is to be able to put players making those choices that are they seem black and white but there's a lot there's so much that you have to take into account and yeah. what's what's funny is that i didn't expect it to be uh where you could take out, let's say, money in the real world and you just substitute in winning a game that they would they would be almost those two things were an analog for each other. That probably was the strangest part is that you just put this game in front of people and they they naturally want to win. So they mm. it's easy to say, well, they're just it's just meeples. That's right. That's that's what got me when Sarah spoke about it was I, I couldn't help but think, but you're, but you're killing those people, you know, <laughs> because when I'm just looking at the, uh, on your BGG page and it's very much like players compete to make their fortune by concentrating in, or diversifying in the various aspects of the industry, such as mining, refining, and shipping. Whoever ends the game with the most money wins. Like In the end, this is an economic game. You want to win by getting the most money. And it's the confrontation within yourself almost that comes with how you, how you go about doing that in the game. Well, I think the also what was the thing that came from this that we didn't realize at the time is that how much do you want to win by became a question. Like, okay, so if you are ahead and you are going to win, it's it's in our we've been trained as Euro players to maximize our score, so it's nothing to continue killing even though you won. Mm. You've already yeah. won. You you've you're going to be victorious. Why do you want to win by? X amount more. Um, now I can understand the, the competitive nature of us in definitely playing most euros. It's that uh, money matters. But when you play like, let's say food chain magnate, um, it, which is an interesting game where I don't think it really matters how much you win by in, in food chain magnate. It's, it's usually a huge swing. Whoever wins is the, if you write down the score, it's really not uh going to translate well to the next game that number doesn't translate so in the cost it's very much similar the because there's so much interaction that number doesn't translate well to the next game like if you're trying to beat like let's say you made 64 dollars yeah. this time and you're trying to make 90 dollars next time uh that it's a whole different game mm. and by trying to maximize your score you're just re-emphasizing the ruthlessness of capitalism in a way Right. I find it so interesting, these sort of games, and I haven't played many of them, admittedly, um, that make you, like, a lot of the games I play lately have been just very fun and silly and quirky, you know, <clears throat> but it takes something special and I think a certain focus from a designer to make a game that makes you feel something, you know what I mean? Like, I have my housemate that wants to play this War of Mine, and I thought that was a great game. I have to be in the mood to play the game because that game, as much as it's an amazing game, it really makes me feel a lot. It's like 
I can love a sad movie, but I have to be in the mood to watch a sad movie. You know what I mean? But I think to get that sort of feeling and emotion into a game, it, it's amazing. It's, it's a real talent. And was, was that something you felt you had to maybe, was that an intentional thing? I guess it is an intentional thing for you, but was that hard for you to convey in the game to sort of make those choices to bring up those reactions from people? Because it, it's, I can't see it being super easy. Well, first we went with the assumption that that wasn't possible. We said, yeah. you know, it's not going to be possible to ha- divorce theme from mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be possible to marry the two so that you would feel something as you did it. So we, we just assumed it wasn't possible. And I don't know if we did that well or not. But then the other part is, well, we have to do the material uh, well, we have to, you know, that this is an actual material. There's people who have said stories about this. There's people who have died over this. So that we have to pay a lot of respect to the material. So in paying respect to the material, I think the other part is natural in trying to show, okay, we're not, obviously we're not on the side of the, of the miner, of the uh, mining companies. I mean, we're obviously being critical of the, of the capital system, but we are also trying to make a game that functions. So by being critical, I think we were able to capture that from those people who are willing to, to take that journey. Well, I don't know. I might ask Sarah a question here. Cause um, like I said, I haven't actually had a chance to play it yet, but I know Sarah has a couple of times, a few times. Um, and I remember when you were explaining it on your sizzle hmm. and it was almost like you were explaining a Euro game and then as it, the words were coming out of your mouth, you were going, this sounds terrible. But maybe when you were playing it, you didn't get that sensation. You just were like, well, this is how I'm going to maximize this. But is, is that would that be accurate? Like if it felt more just like a game when you were playing it? Yeah, I th- I think so. I think it's like Mo was saying, when you when you play a lot of games, you are focused on getting a score and to, and competing with the other players. So I think there's definitely, it definitely feels like that when you're playing the game. But I think, um, you know, as Mo was saying, how much do you want to win by? If you win, how do you feel? Like when you win the cost, you're not going to be jumping up and down, yay, I won. It, it actually does make you think about the world and how it works currently. And that, you know, is a lot to chew over. It's like Mike said, you probably wouldn't want to, you know, um, be in a sad mood and play this maybe I don't know but um it does make you feel and think which you know I think is important for a lot of players as well so um yeah I I think it's a it's an experience that's beyond just playing something that's pushing cubes around even though it's an abstracted you know there's pieces on the board that are abstracted and it it still makes you feel things Mm. And I know so, there is an. Ex- I think there's more to the cost coming. Uh, are we? Am I right about that, Mo? Do you want to talk a little bit about what uh, might be coming out? If there's a solo mode, I know I tried a solo mode. Is there more to it as well? Well, we expanded the. Well, we made a solo mode and we expanded the material. Um, right now, it's in limbo. Um, there's a Chinese manufacturer uh, publisher who's who did a, a Kickstarter, but it's not Kickstarter. It was a, a Chinese version of Kickstarter. And there was another, what, 600 games made in China. So 
in July, they plan to do another one. And at that point, the expanded material might be available. Once, if that happens, then uh, Spielworks will end up with an allotted amount of that expanded material. If it doesn't happen, then I guess we're all waiting for a new publisher to take it on. We'll see. Um, all right. It, okay. I, I can be contacted, though, for the solo material. It, we're, we're not trying to stop people from playing it. We just don't have an, a publisher yet for it, 100%. I mean, no contracts have been signed. I guess I can say that. <laughs> yeah, I liked the solo mode a lot. It was really quite simple to play the bot. Um, and I'm not a huge solo gamer, but I really in, enjoyed that. And I think it was a good replacement for the interactivity with players, usually at the table. So that's definitely something to check out. Um, I guess in terms of like adding things to that game, the cost does feel quite complete. So what were the ideas, in, if you would like to talk about them, what were the other ideas that were put into the game? Okay, so when the game uh, was first being developed, I have like a list of stuff I wanted to be in the game, and I didn't get through the list. I've got like most of it, but there was a, a couple of things, see if I can remember, like um, the possibility of bringing in outside asbestos that, uh, like if you were part of the emerging market, that would be uh, – asbestos from companies that were outside of the game that you could purchase and maybe some bidding me mechanisms that go along with that. And a few other things to, to allow people to like mitigate um, the collapse of their, of the countries from like totally regulating out asbestos. But the interesting thing was when we started trying to put that in, we realized that um, we had made a game that didn't allow for a lot of things to be added. So it took a long time to find new things to do and a lot of the new stuff it doesn't seem like a lot but it was quite a bit of stuff when you when you find out what can actually balance in this game because there's so much inner interactivity mm -hmm. the balance of the game comes from the players and if you throw anything let's say that's strong all the players will jump on that so you have a game that people already like, you're asking them to play another game by adding these new things. So I don't know if it makes much sense, but we couldn't add a whole lot. We tried, we wanted to, we had all these grand ideas and it didn't work. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, I know I was recently talking with one of the uh, other hosts, Steph, about Eurogames sort of becoming more thematic and American games becoming more, um, I guess, focused on you know, the, the solid mechanics behind them instead of just, you know, chucking dice or whatever. Do you think these lines have blurred to the point where those two genres don't even exist anymore? I think the cost is a great example of this because it's quite heavy and economical, but also the th um, thematic, the theme is so strong. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I Like we, a couple of years ago, it was easy to see, oh, look, there's a hybrid of the two types and two styles. But as game mechanics evolve and they borrow from each other, I don't, you can look at euros now and that have a lot of randomness in it. And you don't think, Oh, well, that's a, that's a hybrid. You still see it as a Euro and it's getting harder and harder to define both genres. It was much easier back when, when, you know, the European games came from Europe and they came with wooden cubes. Now everything can come with wooden cubes. Everything can come with minis. You can chuck dice and everything. So for me, I think it's, it's, 
uh, more of the same. Everything is borrows from each other. It's really hard to call anything uh, straight Euro if it's of the modern era. Um, I don't know where the cost lies in there. We we called it a Euro just because we're used to saying that, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, one of our um, Patreon members actually had a question for you because um, so Adnan, oh. he's a very he's a big fan of interactive euros, um, and he wanted to know if you found uh, if there was any interactive euros that were particularly inspiring for the cost or any of your other uh, designs that you're working on. Oh, okay. So um, I tend not to play uh, design games that mirror the games that I'm playing that are coming out this year or or, or very current. I like to play older Euros and uh, games like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Condottieri. Um, Um, Yes. Yeah. It's like a card game. It's been reprinted many times, but the version we play is like, I think it's a 1995, 96 version. We end up playing all these old games that have a lot of interactivity and also are very not point salary. There's there's definite directions to go. You can't, you know, edge out an extra point here. We we tend to play a lot of those in our larger groups, and I think that that's the influence. The influence is playing interactivity type euros that are extremely focused. But also, you have to look at the cost was a product of. We designed it in 2017, so um, at that time, I think people were still playing games four or five times. So when we made the cost, we had the idea that people were going to play it four or five times at least to get some of what's going down, what's going on underneath, and they would find interesting gameplay in it. If it had been made, let's say, last month, we would think that, well, the game's going to get played twice, maybe. And it would have been designed completely different because we would have had to have brought everything to the front. And that's just part of, you know, we have so much new games coming out and it's a product of older sentimentality, I guess. Did you base that theory on your own um, playing of board games? I mentioned um, before we started that you, you love to play board games. Are you playing games over and over and over again or do you like to try everything? Well, in our in our group, I am the guy that wants to play uh, stuff that I know, so that we can actually sit down and play and and compete on an even mm-hmm. playing field. Because I would say I have I can have low um, a low understanding of when I when you give me a game and when you teach me the rules, my ability to understand the rules is either I'm going to really understand it or not know anything. So because of that, um, I like to play the same game a few times so that I can understand it and play it well. But other people in my board game group are getting new games all the time and we have to go through those games. We need to find out if they're any good. We also have to see what uh, the new hype is. So, you know, I don't get to choose the game we play every time we play. So we're going to play a lot of, you know, old games and new games at the same time. So it's a good mix, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's hard to balance that. And um, like you say, the cost, I've certainly had that experience as well. I know that um, the last time I played it, the people, I think I was talking to you about this previously, the people I was playing it with, they weren't quite sure of the strategy. And I'm like, well, that's you, that's why you got to play it again. It sort of emerges, you know, you don't know straight away because things can happen in the game <laughs> that will, you know, kind of... Um, everything will go downhill basically, right? If one of the countries that you're working in or you have mines in goes back in the box, then you've learnt a pretty um, harsh lesson there, I guess. Uh, so I guess one of the things um, that I was talking to you about is, is there a way um, do you think that we can teach games maybe? Do you think it's part of uh, the way we teach or um, bring someone into a game that we love that, can sort of get over that hurdle of them having learning something like that a bit harshly. Well, with the cost, it's really difficult because of the subject matter and the style of game that it is. But um, a lot of it has to do with um, how bad we uh, beat the other people. You know, <laughs> like if you take like a, it's really hard to teach like a age of steam. And that would be a game that, that, was a huge inspiration for, for the design. Uh, when you play age of steam and you take a new player, uh, age of steam has a lot to do with value. Um, the value to knowing the value of what to bid, the value of what, what tracks to lay just, it's, it's mm -hmm. a constant and you're trying to analyze how to value things. So a new player is not going to know that at all. There's no way to know. So if you, play the game like if you're playing against uh people that are on your level then and destroy them they're not likely to want to play mm. that game or at least not with you so yeah. Yeah. if i when i teach the cost i always do a transport strategy so that i let them play with the game and i try to show them well here's a way that i'm playing safely and here is a way that i am making points and you are doing all the work and mm -hmm. it's easier for them to also understand some of the mechanisms that they wouldn't have understood in another way. And with like age of steam, uh, I try to do things that, that that's my opportunity to try new strategies, try something completely out of the box. So when I teach people, I try to do those things. Those that's my opportunity to learn a new strategy, but not completely play a soft game mm -hmm. and let them win. Man, Age of Steam, that was an interesting... I, I, I went through that experience actually very recently where I got taught that game, and the guy was great that taught me. But man, that game, I ended every round with back to zero dollars and just couldn't get, couldn't get um, ahead at all. It's, it's hard choices that get you that one little step further, but you end up right, right back where you were at the start. And most of the game, you feel like you're kind of not getting anywhere until the very end where it sort of ramps up a little bit, which was exciting. And if you learned a bit from that, I'm even more excited to try the cost now to sort of get that same sort of feeling that that was, that was interesting. Yeah. Age of steam is brutal. It is oh, brutal. That was hard. brutal. <laughs> ah, so, uh, so we have another question from one of our members and you've, you've kind of half answered part of it but um so the question was um it's from demo and he's uh, i would like to know whether you have uh what you have in the pipeline and if there are any other social or big business issues you'd like to raise awareness of via board games i'm guessing you probably covered that last bit by talking about the cost as a metaphor for big business in general and whatnot but uh more more to, more to the point the first thing what, what's what's next for for mo 
Okay, so next is a, a game that I'm working on called Matchstick Girls, which is about a matchstick factory in the 19th century in on the east end of London. And in, in particular, I'm exploring the Bryant and May matchstick factory. Uh, the issues, it's a lot of social issues uh, at the time with uh, labor laws were almost non-existent at the time. And... I'm exploring that in the game, but I'm putting players in the middle management role. So it, it's exploring a lot of the same things that the cost did, but in a middle management kind of section, like um, the game talks about like how management uses stress as a tool to exploit workers. It, it also the, how unimportant workers are, can be if they do not unite. So the game also talks about the idea of this matchstick factory going on strike, which actually did happen. And uh, mm. so I'm trying to explore that, that historical time. Wow. Um, the game after that is another, another deep game that, that it's going to deal with. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, with the middle passage, but no. it's basically, um, the triangular triangle trade triangular trade um, dilemma that was part of you know the, the slave trade and right. that game actually matchstick girls and the cost be, because I'm trying to uh, do these things that I don't know if they're just deep games that are closer to documentary type style games you know mm. that will allow me to do something that's that uh, dark of a game. So that really trying to lead up to that, but we'll see what happens. I think it's cool to try to teach somebody a topic through a game. I think that's very clever because, you know, I, I enjoy good documentary and I don't have much time to watch them these days because I'm always playing games. So if I can knock off two and one and learn something and spend some time with friends, I reckon that that's a great thing. I just well, noticed uh, Mike just on that. I, uh, the Freedom, the Underground Railroad yeah. um, board game, and they've just released the Underground Railroad uh, documentary, or like I don't know if it's a documentary, but a mini series on it's Amazon Prime. And I'm like, oh wow, oh, okay. now now I really want to watch that, yeah, because I'm familiar because of Freedom, the Underground Railroad. So. Yeah. yeah, I think board games can be an incredible educational tool. I'm actually surprised that um, there aren't other designers like you, Mo, that are, you know doing more in that space. Well, there's a few, but I think a lot of it stems from the fact that I'm not very good at coming up with themes. Um, <laughs> I, um, when I, after I took a hiatus from playing board games, I, I used to design board games back in the nineties and went back to it uh, after I got addicted again. Um, my first game back was called conflict of plants. You know, like that is not a great theme for other people. I love the theme, but not very many people sold it plants were that interesting and then after that was a game called a t-shirt empire which is about running a t-shirt shop and that also again a theme that most people wouldn't like so <laughs> i kind of married uh, the idea i i watch a lot of documentaries and i love history so i kind of just tried to marry the two with with board game design and the topics that that i find interesting in history so that ended up being better for me and allowed me just to be more interested in what I was doing. Well, that's, that's, 
this has been an unbelievable chat. This has been one of the better chats we've had with guests. I think it's been really in depth. And thank you very much for sharing all that information. Um, I do recommend if you haven't already heard of them, but um, go and check out a song called Blue Sky Mining by Midnight Oil. It's actually written about the uh, blue asbestos mining in Australia and what the companies didn't do during that time. So um, just a little bit of other media for you that's sort of similar to the theme of your game. I'll definitely it's, check um, that out. Yeah, they're a, they're they were a very heavy political band in the in the nineties and early thousands in Australia, and I you actually the, end up becoming a politician. I remember the band quite a bit, but I didn't know that they had a song about asbestos. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was actually one of their biggest songs. But yeah, it's yeah, Blue Sky Mining. It's uh, it's it's yeah, it's very much um, yeah about specifically the blue asbestos mine that was near where I was living for a while. So it's um. Yeah, pretty full on. But with that, we're going to finish the conversation there if it runs happy, and we'll move on to um, some sizzling games. Sure. Okay, so the sizzling games segment is brought to you by 2D6 Games, uh, the Brisbane board gaming shop that's online at 2d6.com.au as well. They offer free shipping Australia-wide, and they're also sponsoring our giveaway this month, which is the Marvel Champions Bundle. So it's a box, the Marvel Champions base box, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and the Wrecking Crew scenario pack. And I'm also throwing in my two extra Hawkeye and Spider-Woman packs that I have. Sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> now, to enter that, you have to go to our Facebook community and find the relevant post and comment with what a good superhero name would be for Dave and Dan. Uh, you've only got a couple of days left to do this, so jump on there. If you can't think of anything... Uh, like hilarious or original that's cool just put anything down because it's it's just going into the barrel it's not the best answer wins it's uh you just got to be in it to win it so uh go and check that out and have a read of some because there are some absolute crackers uh but with that we'll get into our sizzling games um i'm gonna send it to mike first we've been playing mate well you know me i uh I've been bringing on the small box games, and I'm going to keep that ball rolling. Um, the one I've spoken about has been spoken about before, uh, and that's Oriflam. Uh, so mm. Oriflam is a fantastic game if you haven't had a chance to try it. It's it's so quick, and I think um, the couple of times I've taught it so far, everyone sort of has that moment, of, All right, what am I exactly doing? But once you play two rounds, everyone gets right into it and, and has a lot of fun. It only takes... 15 to 20 minutes to play. So it's one of those games, I think, you need to knock one out straight away so everyone sort of sees how it plays out and then go off from there. I'll, I'll do a quick sort of um, cap on how it sort of works. So each player has a deck of 10 cards, and I think the story is uh, you're in line to become, I think, the king's hand, and everyone's sort of fighting and eliminating each other to sort of be the last one standing, I believe. I might have that wrong. Um, to me, the theme of this game sort of painted on it uh, doesn't matter too much. It's more about the actual play of the game. But you've got oh. each each player has ten cards that are exactly the same, and they're just different sort of um, different sort of roles. I sort of call this game uh, War of Whispers meets Love Letter. You know, because you sort of know what's in everyone's <laughs> hand, but it's all a bit secret at the same time. So the best part about the game is before you actually start playing, you remove three cards from your hand randomly. So that means even though you know that you've got the same hand as everybody else, you might be missing a card that you know is really, really helpful, but no one else knows that you're missing it, you know? Um, And in turn, everyone's going to put a card face down in the middle of the table. So the game, if it's a four-player game, we'll start with four cards in the middle face down. And then in a certain direction, which is determined by the first player. 
you sort of say, okay, well, Michael, you know, Steve, do you want to flip over your first card? If you flip over your card, it'll activate that player. So, for example, it might be an archer. So, if you flip over your card and an archer is revealed, the archer will eliminate the first or last card from the queue. So, if you're a couple rounds in and your card is the first and the last card in the queue, you have to eliminate your own card. You know what I mean? Um, The cards only activate when you flip them over. That If that card doesn't get eliminated in that round and you start again, you go down that line of cards again. And when it comes to that archer, that archer has to activate again because he's still in the queue. So it becomes this really fun, can you put people's players in certain predicaments? So I've played this game a few times and there's another card called a soldier. When the soldier is face up, you have to eliminate an adjacent card. If people flip over cards that are in between your cards that get removed from the line, you then have to eliminate your own cards. And it becomes very, what's he got down? What are they doing? The the, the two more fun cards I find are called a conspiracy and the other one's called an ambush. And these cards are both fun because you never know which one is face down. So in the game, if you choose not to flip over, open your card and you keep it face down secret, you can, you put influence tokens on them and influence tokens build up each round and they become points. Why that becomes more interesting is the conspiracy card. Once you flip him over, he will double the amount of, uh, of influence tokens on top of him. So he'll double his points. So if he's accumulated four points and he gets eight points, that's a lot in this game in one hit. So if someone's got a face down card, accumulating all these points, you probably want to take it out in case it's, it's a conspiracy because they're just going to, you know, boost right up in points. But the worry about that is there's also an ambush card. And if you attack someone's card and it's the ambush card, they remove your card from the game and then the ambusher takes four points. So it's that, well, uh, I'm trying to deduce what they have. They've had these cards come out. I haven't seen them bring out an ambush yet. Is that card an ambush? Or maybe it's a conspiracy. It's just very um, exciting and tense, you know? But that tenseness, it builds up and goes away. And the game lasts 15 minutes. So then you, you know, shuffle all up and do it again. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. It creates a lot of fun moments because you're just attacking each other's people and trying to guess what people are putting down and creates a really, really good atmosphere. And once again, because you can knock out a few games in an hour, it, it's it's a must-have in my books. It's a great game. That's Oriflam. I haven't tried it yet, but I really can't think of a bluffing game I haven't liked, so I'll probably <laughs> like this one too. It's have so you tried good. it, Mo or Steve? I've never heard um, of it. It sounds interesting. Yeah, okay. it's it's uh, really fun game. Really, really fun game, and I definitely do recommend it. Yeah, I need to try it. I'd like to try. This is the one that Jules, uh, when we did our two by two, he recommended was one of the two that he recommended for me. Okay. Remind, it sounds when you talk about it, and when Jules talked about it, all I could think about was Citadels. I think it's got. I've heard a couple um, of people reference that. I've not played Citadel, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or oh, I'll bring it up with me to Brisbane, mate. We're gonna have a game of it soon. Don't worry. Um, is it um, how many players is it good with, Mike? Is it you can't play it with two? Right? No, you can't I, play. I so yeah. I wanted to play it last night when my mate came over, but we had to wait for Nada to come home to be able to have a game of it, and we started at like midnight. Um, <laughs> and but, it's okay uh, with three, or yeah, is it better with three? One? It was fine. It, it, was, it was very enjoyable at three. I find I personally think that the more people in there, the better, because you just get this bigger line of cards happening, and there's also a mechanic in it 
where you can build on top of all the cards. So you can actually, all, you can, it's a bit of a weirder one. And I actually remember now that I forgot to teach this part last night, but that's fine. Let's not tell anyone. Um, but you, <laughs> Do they listen you, to the podcast? You, you, no, they don't. That's fine. Um, you can build <laughs> one of your cards on top of one of your cards. So, you know, I might put the conspiracy on top, like an ambush on top of conspiracy. And then if somebody mm. attacks that one, the, consp- the ambush flips up, kills them. Then I launch up my... Um, my cons- my conspiracy. It's weird. You can sort of do this little double double, double up, like little yeah. It's it's interesting. I haven't played with that too much because I do often forget it's a part of the game and it confuses me a little bit. But I think it's actually a really good part of the game. And once you've played it a few times in succession, it'll make a bit more sense how you can use it to your advantage. But um, it's one of those games that definitely works better after a round or two and everyone sort of knows what cards are in the game and how they work because that's when the tension rises. Like my mate last night who didn't know who his, the three fun cards he called them were taken out of the game. He sort of gave up a little bit halfway. And I said, but the point of this game is I don't know that you lost those really good cards. You can still put, if you put a face down card next to my open soldier where I can kill it, I'm going to be worried about killing it because that might be the ambush card. You know, you can bluff and, make that little move that makes people think twice about what you're actually doing. You know what I mean? So it creates really good tension once you sort of know. And he said if he understood a bit better how it worked, he would have played it a bit differently. But once again, you don't really – you have to see it play out once to get a good understanding. Um, But unfortunately, it was so late last night, we couldn't do another round. But um, Yeah, a lot of those games, it's the combinations as well, right, that you can see happen with time. Correct, correct. And especially once again, when all those cards disappear from in between your cards and then you have to start killing your own cards, it, it's hilarious. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you thought you did this really clever trick and then all of a sudden the row changes in a way that you didn't expect it. And you shot or, yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, or, or there is a card, um, sorry, called, oh, what's he called? He is the Royal Decree. And you can move a card anywhere you want in the queue. So, if Sarah, if you have a face-up soldier that I can see and you've got two of your cards next to each other, I can go, okay, well, I'm using my Royal Decree to move your soldier in between your two cards. You're going to have to kill one of your two cards. You know what I mean? Like, I can put you in that awkward situation <laughs> where you have to do that unless something happens before that that changes it. So, nah, definitely a lot of fun. Nice one. Aura Flam. What about uh, yourself, Sarah? Uh, I'm going to talk about one of those 90s games, <laughs> um, <laughs> El Grande. I've been playing it. I actually played it the other day at the Sydney uh, Sydney Game Day event. Yeah. I taught it and played it um, with some of our uh, members and, gosh, it went down a treat. We all had so much fun playing playing it and I know I've talked about it before because it was in the last bracket battle. Can't remember who it went, what it went up against now, but um, it was out pretty early, which I think is a crying shame. Um, so El Grande is has been described as like the granddaddy of area control. Um, it is, you know, one of the just the classic um, cube cube euros that you know that I like with a beige board, but <laughs> it really is the mechanics of this game that that shines it's just so easy to learn and to play and and it's just all about like trying to eke out points over everyone else and um it's great so i'll explain a little bit how it works so basically your um the board is a map of spain and i think it's set in the um 14th or 15th century Spain, and there's different tribes. So you've got the Catalonians and uh, I don't know all the names. I'm sorry. There's, there's I think, seven different uh, tribes were vying for um, 
had these different provinces in Spain. And so each player sort of is a different one of these tribes. Um, but thematically, like, it doesn't really mean that much. <laughs> it's more about the mechanics, as I said. And every player has a set of power cards that goes from 1 to 15. And a bit like when I was explaining um, Nidavalia last time I was on the podcast, there's this like bidding round, but it's really just for um, turn order. And so these power cards in your hand, they uh, you go around the table, it's an open bid. So the first player puts down one and then you have to bid to try and go um, first. And the person with the lowest card will be the one that goes first. Now, the interesting thing about it is if you're going, if you're going early in the round, that's great, but you might not actually get uh, many supply of meeples because you actually have these two different supplies in front of you of your of your cubes or meeples in my version of the game. Uh, there's some that you can't actually get to yet, uh, and there's your actual available supply. So if you play an early card, like you want to go early in the round, you actually don't get more meeples into your available supply. But if you play later in the round, you can get, and if you play really late in the round, you can get up to six, right? So it goes one, two, three, four, five, six. So you can add more people to, or more meeples, more cubes to your available supply. So this is important. You've got to sort of balance that. Um, and then when it comes around to choosing what you're going to do in that in in the actual um, gameplay section, you look at these five cards that are available and the person who uh, bid first chooses the whatever card they get to choose at first. And these things are, you know, they can be um, moving other people's cubes, moving your own, um, moving the king. So this is the other the thing about El Grande is it has this like golden rule. There is a big like king token in Spain and he moves around to all the different provinces. And basically we, uh, the players don't want to look like they're fighting in that king's region. They don't want the king to know what they're getting up to. So you cannot um, ever interact with the king's region. Whatever region the king is in, his domain, it is taboo. You cannot touch it. You can't do anything there. <laughs> right? Yep. His region is out of bounds. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so one of the cards oh. that is always, always available to play is moving the king. Um, so you can move him around and, and, and manipulate the board and basically block off that region for other players. They can't do anything there. And you, you play for three rounds doing all these different, you know, manipulative things on the board. And, oh, and I should say with the power, with the, sorry, with the action cards, the ones that are more powerful, again, you have this balance where you can't, if it's a really powerful card, you can't put many more cubes or meeples onto the board in that, in that particular round. Uh, so that's, tricky as well because obviously the more presence you have on the board the easier it is to control an area and so every three you play for three rounds and then you hit a uh, scoring uh, round and you just score every region and the person who is first gets a certain amount of points and it's written there on all the provinces uh, and some in some cases there's points for second and third as well sometimes there isn't and there's these like one of the actions is to move around these little mobile scoring boards one of them is like crazy points really high and then there's another mobile scoring board where the first player gets four and no one else gets anything so you can manipulate how much people are going to score as well um so and then that's it and it goes for nine rounds and there's three scoring phases there's also this really cool part of the game that i probably my favorite part and it's uh the castillo so there's a little castle 
there's like a castle on the board and instead of putting meeples on the board on your turn when you do your actions, you can put some or all of the meeples that you should put on the board into the castle and you have to tell people that you're putting them in there. And when the scoring round happens, the castle is scored as well. So whoever had the most meeples in the castle actually gets points and uh, second and third get points as well. But then you have this like secret dial where you choose where those meeples are going to go on the board and then the scoring continues. So you can completely change and like steal someone's area that they thought they had, you know, completely locked down and they were set to score it. And then these like little meeples from the castle just come raging through the land and uh, and and change that. So so we played this at the Sydney game day. We had a crazy fun time. Um, Demo was like winning for a really long time. We're all trying to play catch up, and it was really tough. And uh, I don't know how we somehow managed to. I, I guess maybe we were just like, nope, Demo's winning. We we need to come after him, and we ended up taking over his areas and I think there was a, a region that was scoring really highly for him so we put the the, the scoreboard on there that was only going to give him four points and then uh, uh, me and Jessica were like so close we were literally pushing when we were doing scoring we were pushing our same scoring markers together on the board mm-hmm. <laughs> like we just were that close so it's a really fun game like I said it's really trying to just maximize your score every time just trying to get ahead try and get ahead and it's usually really close it's pretty quick game as well super simple as I said to explain and I just love it like I think it's a classic for a reason I could never get bored of it and I've got the big box expansion and I've only ever played the original game because it just I love it how it is so that's um El Grande it does sound like an amazing game you play this one Mo yes I've played a lot of El Grande (laughs) we got the game when it was brand new and we're what 98 I think something like that and uh we discovered the uh the expansion, I think it's called Koenig and Intrigant, which basically the king and the schemer. So that expansion opens that game up to like another level. It's an amazing expansion. Um, instead of, you know, you, you have a set of cards that it's almost like a worker placement when you're choosing the card because you're basically drafting a card because the other players can't choose that same card that you chose. Mm-hmm. Instead of having that mechanism, you have... The, the complete set of cards and, but each card has a value and the value is if the card does really cool stuff on the board, it's not going to do really cool stuff for getting your, your cubes from the province. I mean, from the general supply to your supply. So mm-hmm. you have to, there's this, it's like a rhythm of the game. You have to play really strong cards, play really weak cards uh, instead of having that, card draft in the middle you have all the cards everybody has their own set and they're playing a card and um depending on the value will will determine it's exactly like the other game except for i have the complete set so i get to make a better choice it's not as tight of a choice but i also have to control my own rhythm and i'm not in a in a spot where um i'm left with the worst choice from the card row i actually I'm, i have the worst choice in my deck so it's a it's it's really interesting i think that if you play with the expansion that you would be really surprised 
It sounds amazing. Um, I feel like, <laughs> does it add a bit of AP to the game? Because there's quite a lot of cards, right, that are available in yeah, the Yeah, it adds about maybe 10, 15 minutes at the start of the game because you have to choose cards. But hmm. I I usually give people, I say, well, you need to choose card 145, you need card 95, and these are actual cards you really should put in your deck, and then maybe some other fillers and um, – you know, you're given like, I think it's 20 something cards and you've got to choose 13. And of those 13, only nine are going to get played because you have, you know, three rounds score, three rounds score, three rounds score. So you're only going to play nine cards. That sounds amazing. I have to try that now. <laughs> I like that, like opening the decision space even more. All right. Well, and El Grande, I might stay with you, Mo, and see what you've been sizzling lately. Okay, uh, I've been playing Alma Mater uh, recently. Ah. I've only had two plays. Uh, we had a two-player game and a four-player game, and they both were really good. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of homework, so I don't know how much I, of the game I can explain. But um, basically, you're running a university. I think you're like a chancellor of a university. Um, the game has a limited set of rounds. I don't remember if it was eight rounds or such. And it's a modern Euro, so you have a lot of ways to score, but it's very deceiving because the game itself has a very complex and unique economy. So you have to come up with money during the game to score prestige. You're going to use money to do things and you're and it's a worker placement. So you have workers to place out on the board and you're going to use a little bit of both to try to score the maximum amount of prestige. And at the same time, you have this research track that's going up the side of the game that you're trying to advance on. And that research track is probably, I would say, the meat of the game. It doesn't look like it, but it, on the uh, on this research track, as you're going up there, uh, to go up the research track, basically there's requirements to go up to the next level. And those requirements have to do with the economy of the game. And the economy of the game has to do, you have to figure out how to make money using books and other, uh, I guess they're students and professors. And it's, it's really, really good game. It's a, it's, I like it a lot. It's a, in that medium heavy Euro kind of thing. That's kind of my style. Yeah, right. This is that it came out last year, I think. Did it? Yeah. And yeah. I think, well, in North America right now, I know that uh, it was out of, it was, you couldn't get it, but now it's back in stock. So I don't know what it's like there. Um, I bet you have a whole different world of getting games there. Oh, yeah, for sure. We just got Bonfire, which I know people overseas have been playing for quite a while now. <laughs> it's only just yeah. got to the shops here. Yeah. And it possibly could, with Alma Mater too, it's not, um, and I don't know whether this will impact its success in Australia, but that's not a term that is used in Australia either. So, like being mm. you know, in your uh, someone's alma mater, like I, 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 I don't want to do it in injustice by trying to ex um, explain what that means. But that's essentially meaning that, like, I'm, I'm a former per I'm a former student of this school, or if I'm a person from this uh, group, is that am I on the right track? There? Yes, yes, uh huh, exactly. Yeah. So I just I don't know whether that'll be like a, a something that Australians will go alma mater. Oh, that's like what they talk about in American movies. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's yeah. pretty much just a game about trying to figure out how to make a college make uh, prestige throw money and manipulating cards. I mean, it's very Euro. I mean, if you've played other Euros, you're, you're going to understand the game. But the games, it's just very interesting in, in the economy of it. Well, I'm um, uh, that leaves just me, but um, I the, the game I want to sizzle was only sizzled on our last episode by Sarah, so I might leave it, which was the Davalier. I, um, I got a chance to play that and thoroughly enjoyed it, but um, I might uh, might play it a few more times and talk about it on a later episode. Um, but if everyone's happy, we'll, we'll move on from the sizzling games to the board game bracket. Sure. Right, so... The board game barbecue bracket 2.0, we have to resolve the previous bracket battle that was set up, which was Etherfields versus Great Western Trail. Uh, before I give out the results, how do you guys think this went? I think Great Western Trail would have, would have smashed this one. I mean, it's a very popular game. It's a mm. solid design. I probably prefer um, Macaribo, as we call it <laughs> around here. Um yeah, but I, I think it probably won because either fields, you know, obviously has a smaller audience and it's a newer game. So yeah. that would be my, I as, guess. As Mitch would put it, all the Justin Bieber fans would have picked uh, Great Western Trail. <laughs> <laughs> Just to throw that one back in. But no, look, Great Western Trail is a great game. I've played both. Um, haven't played a lot of Ether Field, but my initial impression, I would go back to Great Western Trail personally before i'd go back to etherfields even though etherfields is an amazing looking game that's probably got a lot more depth that i haven't tapped into yet but now i would have lent towards um towards the cute little cows even though it took you like eight hours to play at the retreat yeah that one yeah that was that was a long game that was (laughs) a long game (laughs) well you're both spot on great western trail did get the win here uh about three to one so uh 143 to 50 was the uh, final votes so uh, Great Western Trail will go through to round two and Etherfields will uh, go back into its dream sequence and wait for the <laughs> next bracket battle, uh, which means we need to set up a new battle and we've got a couple of games that I quite like up against each other here, but I didn't put either of these up in the bracket. So these this is Barrage versus Calico, <laughs> uh, which coincidentally, I feel like Sarah might like Barrage a lot and Mike like, might like Calico. How does this keep happening? <laughs> this, this uh, crazy well, coincidences. Well, like we've planned something for once. Yeah, <laughs> we've planned well. That's right. Uh, so as per usual, you, go, you guys are going to battle this out. Uh, before we do, though, it, um, our sponsor for the Boy Game Barbecue Bracket Battle 2.0 is Game Toppers, uh, which uh, you mentioned before. They're, uh, Mo, uh, their, their Kickstarter has just finished, but the late the, the pledge manager and the late pledges will be open next week. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, but big thanks to Berkey for sponsoring the bracket. Uh, but we'll get into it. Now, who wants to go first, Mike or Sarah? I wanted to ask Mo what he thought of the- <laughs> which side he's going to take. I think you know, well. even I know what side he's going to sit on, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. Okay. It's, it's pretty simple. Uh, I'm <laughs> big time into Barrage. I haven't played Calico. Uh, if I'm not opposed to playing it, but uh, our game group is a heavy game group. So we. Haven't touched it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, so good. I, I feel know good where now. Mo's going. Yeah, so. yeah, I feel good now. All right, Sarah or Mike? Who's, I'm going to let Sarah go first here. Okay. So, Sarah, why is Barrage better than Calico? <laughs> um, okay. First of all, 
there's the super cool theme in Barrage, right? It's this like alternate reality, you know, um, you're going up against, if you're playing solo, you're going up against Nikola Tesla. You're trying to like um, create power from, um, you know, hydropower from these dams. And what like, that's topical, right? Like we want to, we want to create different power and renewable power. So it's a cool, it's a, it's a nice theme. It's, um, it's sort of like a bit fantasy, but not really. But also it's just a hit, like it's one of the crunchiest Euros I've played um, in the past year because uh, I came onto it a little bit late. I think Isaac talked about it on the show and I was like, that sounds like something I'd really like. And um, it is. It's got some really great mechanics in there. But it's simple enough like because uh, the main mechanic is worker placement, but it's just where you take um, the strategy. Like it's so easy to explain this game because you're either placing one, two, or three meeples on the board and you're just performing that action. Um, and yeah. it's brilliant. I really love teaching it because of that. But, you know, the way you can go with your strategy, and and I love asymmetric powers as well, and all the different factions have a different power and they have a different income board that you, uh, like you can sort of engine build a little bit because you, you're placing buildings on the board and then you're unlocking these like different income streams. And so, you know, that can go in line with, with what you're trying to do in the game. And it's just fun. You're building buildings, you're getting money, you're trying to create power. Um, yeah, I love it. And I'm not really a fan of cats and I don't really <laughs> like quilts. So it's just more interesting to me than uh, Calico. Okay. Mike, why is Calico better than Barrage? I think it's widely known that people with a heart love cats. Um, and that's where I'm going to start with. Um, wow. I'm not going to say anything about you, Sarah. It's fine. You can have your opinions, but you know, cats are awesome. We all we all need a fluffy friend sometimes. And I'm a dog person. I, I I absolutely you know find you know water and electricity as exciting as the next person. But um, <laughs> I, I I I put this up to 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 Mike's table test again, like I have in the past. If you're walking past two tables, one set up with barrage. And one set up with Calico, people are going to walk over to Calico instantly because the first thing you notice about Calico is the amazing tiles and colors in that game. It just looks appealing and is very attractive. And yeah, the theme might sound a bit dry being cats and quilts, but that's where the theme comes in that you're trying to build the most beautiful quilt for the to attract cats over over to uh, over to your quilt and what i want to just mention if i haven't before the amazing part of this game where all the cats in this game are people's real cats if you look at the back of the book the backers of the kickstarter got to submit photos of the cats that then became tokens so you know you don't want to put down these people's real cats these are real cats with He's real stealing lives other people's cats Pardon? I'm you're not stealing, stealing cats. Other, no, I'm, to- <laughs> I am battling for these cats to be recognized and enjoyed as they should be by everybody. Okay? This sounds weird. In this, in this wonderful game of abstract tile placement, oh. it's it's one of the easiest, most simplest teachers in the, you know, ever because you have to pick up a tile and put down a tile. Super, super simple teach. Um, but where you place these tiles and how they sort of – the three sort of things you're going for are just an amazing mix, an amazing puzzle. And when Sarah told me she wasn't a big fan of Calico, it actually blew my mind because I expected to really like this sort of really puzzle crunch. And, you know, it did did actually surprise me. We had a really good conversation about it. But um, you're trying to achieve three different things in the same little board. You're trying to get groups of three colors together to earn a button, which is awesome. Um, and the button, if you get all six different color <laughs> buttons on your board, you get a rainbow button. 
Who doesn't like rainbows? Rainbows are cool. Um, rainbows are cool. See, cats, courts, and rainbows. We're, we're winning here. Um, uh, <laughs> you're also trying to – cats are colorblind, so there's these white tiles next to these three different cats that give you different points. Um and it might say, well, this this cat, Millie, wants to see three three pinstripe tiles touching each other. So if on your board you can put three of these pinstripe tiles next to each other, you can then attract a little Millie token, and Millie comes and sits on your quilt. It's all very cute and lovely. Um, you also have these three uh, objectives on your board, which are tiles, and they might say, well, you want two three-of-a-kinds or two or three two-of-a-kinds or one of every kind of tile around it. And they both have two objectives you can be going for, where one is a very basic, okay, I'm going to do three and three, two three-of-a-kinds. So I want three colors, well, maybe three blue tiles and three pink tiles, and that's three and three. Or if you want to go for the next objective, which is more points, you want to have three of a kind, two three-of-a-kinds of colors and two three-of-a-kinds of patterns. So you want to have three pinstripe and three flower patterns, but also three blue and three pink. You have to try to get both in once. And that's when the game becomes super crunchy because it's this big spatial puzzle where you're really trying to fill in the tiles in the right spot and set them up in, in the best way. And that's where the replayability comes in amazingly as well, because every game you play after your first game, the cats will change, which means you're trying to achieve different things to attract the cats. Those middle tiles will change and in different orders, which will mean you're trying to all go for different sort of um, objectives. So the replayability, you're always going to have different combos in this game, which always keeps it fresh, always keeps it exciting. You can teach someone this game in five to 10 minutes and they're going to be able to go off enjoying it. I, I actually at a last game day, there was a couple about to play it. And I said, Hey, do you, I see you reading the rules. Do you want me to teach it to you? I was able to stand there for about five minutes, blast through the rules, and I said, I'm going to come back to watch your brain burn in about 20 minutes. And I made my way back and said, oh, how's it going? And they were like, oh, man, this is so crunchy, and I'm just trying to see where how I can get this combo and that combo. And they had a great time playing it, as they should. Um, so <laughs> it, it is a great game. The reason it's better than Barrage is it's colorful, it's got cats. They are real people's cats. So, you know, they, you don't want to, you know, these cats matter and they are important pets to some people and they should be supported and spread out through this amazing community. Vote for Calico. <laughs> there we go. Bam. Uh, mic drop. Mike, Mike, uh, if you didn't know before, you'll know now that Mike is in sales. Um, <laughs> Yeah, right, it's, it's a slight advantage to this. That's not an advantage thing. at Calico's yeah. better. That's, that's, that's just you have a professional, you know, professionally I, uh, trained. I'm to try cats now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Calico, I mean. <laughs> well, it, it, this is a really interesting decision for me because I quite like both of these games, and I agree with you, Mike. I did find it strange that Sarah didn't like Calico. Yeah. Because the thing that I always say about the strategy in this game is that it's contradictory. Uh, you're trying to get a certain thing going in one area, but that contradicts what you're also trying to get going in that same area. Like, mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get your, your you know, like you mentioned, the two lots of three, that'll then also run into one of your other areas you're trying to surround. But then it'll also mess up whether you're trying to go for buttons or cats and try to get those continual patterns. So I, that's what I love about it is this idea that you, it's not a, there's no simple answer to this puzzle. Um, it really is. It, it's, a, it's a super brain-burning game. It's a light game because it's easy to teach. Like you say, put down a, tile pick up a tile 
but there's like, the the decision making is paramount. It's 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 great. Mm. I don't know. I didn't hand, I didn't find it crunchy. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just was looking at the board and I was like, oh, I need this particular one and for here, and I need this particular one for here, and then this particular you, one for here, and then I was just waiting for them to come out, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a pink with the leaf. Yeah, I need that one. And then some of them would come out and some of them wouldn't. But I was always just waiting for that tile that I knew mm. I needed for there. I didn't feel like it was crunchy. That's, I don't uh, know. That interests me. We, we, did you ever try to get the maybe, yellow objective? Did you score seven points? Like <laughs> maybe, maybe it wasn't crunchy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe I, I just failed is that what you're saying. I, I think we did a game day where you teach me barrage and then and we play Calico as well. We'll do both of one day because I haven't yeah. played barrage yet, um, but I've heard great things. But um, I'd love to play Calico with you because every time I've played, I've had a great time. So I reckon that'll be an interesting test one day to see maybe we can make it fun for you or maybe there's something that was missed. I don't know because you did say you played it quite a few times as well because that was my assumption that you hadn't played it many times and you had actually played it as many times as I had. So I don't my know. My score was 61 last time. Okay. So it wasn't yeah. good seven. Score. I, good just, score. <laughs> I just looked up quickly my last score in Calico. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe it was. Maybe it is the theme too, you know. Like hmm. if I was into oh. luring other people's cats to my quilts, I would be into it. But, Yeah. I do have to say, though, after saying all that about Calico, my vote for this one will go to Barrage. It's, yes. It is such a good game. Three against it's, one, Mike. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's a game. I, I love games where it doesn't matter how well you're doing. You, even, even if you're keeping an eye on how everyone else is doing, there is this comes to that last round in that game and it's still anyone's game. Uh, I really feel like sometimes you can have a runaway leader, but it's rare. It, it just seems like, and if they do, it, it's it's not like it's because they were lucky. It's because they did stuff and you didn't do stuff, and you can blame yourself for that. You can't blame the game, I guess. But uh, but it just it makes you feel super smart when you pull off some things. I remember one time I, I think I generated like sixty power in the last round, which is ridiculous. Just like two a, two of the actual the power track track. thirty, yeah. yeah. That's right. And I'm like, because I knew that I was going to develop all this power. And I'm like, and then it happened. I'm like, wow. Oh, because then it can run through this and then I'll get that. And it was just, oh, I just felt super smart. Um, and in that particular game, I romped home to a victory, which was great. I've seen Adrian play this where he got every one of his um, buildings out on the board. Mm. So he was getting those residual points every round. And I, I think I explained it on the podcast as him looking like he was strutting while sitting. Um <laughs> So because he, he had this, he knew he'd done something cool, but because all these other people were new, he kind of just like did this kind of shoulder thing. And I'm like, that's, that's such a strut. I loved it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's a great game. So it'll get my vote, but my vote doesn't, my vote only counts for one. It's everyone else's votes that counts for this one. So as per usual, if you want to vote on which one of your, these two games is your favorite, you can head to four places. Firstly, if you're in our discord, you can go to the, by the Bracket Battle channel and vote there via the emojis. You can head to the Facebook page uh, and vote on the Facebook story there. You can go to the Facebook group, Board Game Barbecue Community, and find the relevant post and uh, choose the emoji that matches the game there. And you can also vote for it on our Instagram story. So like I say, if you're torn and you're not sure which way to go, you can always vote to one way and to the other. Um, I don't know why you would, but you could. Uh, but either way, get out there and vote and uh, we'll let you know the winner next week uh, of Calico versus Barrage. Uh, and with that, that'll end the bracket. We'll move into swearing an oath. 
Okay, Swear an Oath is brought to you by Advent Games, and I said this last time and I'll keep saying it. Thank you so much to Dean for everything that he did for the Sydney Game Day, uh, and with, it's great to, to announce that Dean is backing it up and coming back for the Sydney Game Day Volume 2. So uh, he'll be there in July with his store and uh, with the library. So uh, it was really, it was amazing. A lot of the comments we got back was how great that library was. So big thanks to Dean. If you want to check out his website, it's adventgames.com.au and it's a pretty uh, sensational store. He's got a lot of stock and he carries a lot of, uh, he has a lot of pre-orders organized. He gets a lot of the new stock in. So it's a great place to check out those, the new hotness. Um, but with that, swearing an oath, uh, I might go first here. Uh, I had a few oaths backed up. So the first one I had was to unbox Nemesis, which I did. And oh, that's, it, was, it was so much that I'm a bit overwhelmed. And I don't know, I don't know how long it's going to be to actually play that game, but the miniatures are amazing. I, I got the, uh, what do you call it? The sun, sun drop. drop. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Oh, oh, I just, yeah. I wish this was a YouTube uh, episode because I could show you guys. It was they're just remarkable. It's the detail of the miniatures is amazing. It's the first miniatures I've gotten where it's actually not not flexible. That's not the right word, but like some of the aliens have like long appendages, and they are. Um, <laughs> Sorry, they being are, immature here. <laughs> Mike no, laughed no, first. That, no, I did not. Thank you. I you, was holding it in until no, you no. giggled. <laughs> you. Um, but either way. Those parts um, and arms, legs, etc. If I want to keep it more PC, um, they're like they're flexible. They're, they're like they're soft. I, I don't. Know, I can't try to think of. The I word know what you mean. It. Actually, yeah. my War of the Ring, the minis are like that. They're bendy. Yeah, they're not rigid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is just a different. Um, I, at the first, when I picked one out of the box, I'm like, oh, it's broken. But then I realized, oh no, no, it's just got give, uh, yeah. which is cool. But uh, I'm very. I, I got all the game and. Uh, I've got the play mat and I'm ready to get it all set up. I think I might wait till Def gets up here and he can run me through my first game because it does seem a little overwhelming, especially when you get a box that's half the size of one of your children. And um, <laughs> and it's I've got like four expansions for a game that I've never played before. So um, it's like that typical Kickstarter thing where you go, oh boy, there's a lot here. Uh, but I did that. I also played Parks uh, and it's also getting another run tonight. We've got our, our family game night on tonight. So Parks is getting another run. It was quite well received. I probably I probably didn't love it as much as the rest of my family, but um my rest of my family quite liked, especially Helen. She loves the artwork, so which is amazing, mind you. Uh but my last oath that is a long running oath is um my um my uh weight loss oath. And um I'm happy to report that I've bought a game since the last episode. Oh, well done. Yes. So that's pretty cool. Um and uh, so in case you're wondering what that's about, Mo, I, I, I said that I can't buy any more games until I've dropped a kilogram of weight. And then however much I drop, the next time I have to buy a game has to be a kilogram further along from that. So, um, yeah, I've, I've managed to uh, – and it's not like I'm always going to buy a game. So don't, people out there thinking, oh, that's crazy. You're going to buy like 30 games if you drop 30 kilos. I may not. I might. <laughs> but I'm, I may not. But it's more that like uh, I, I am allowed to buy a game now. I've, I've treat yourself. I've that yeah. Threshold. yeah, that's right. So that's and awesome. I started dude. out. I started out with too many bones because yeah, why not? So, can you can you um, fast? Because um, you really want to get a game. <laughs> that's it. I think I actually said I could just I could just starve myself for two weeks and then buy all the games. 
There you go. Oh, Steve's buying salads. There must be a Kickstarter coming. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, it's, 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 but it's, it's definitely the motivation I needed because it's working well and I'm doing the right thing. So that's cool. Um, oh, we're proud of you, next... buddy. That's awesome, man. Ah, cheers. Uh, my next oath is much more standard. Um, I am hanging to get Destinies delivered. It's on its way to me. Uh, I got the Kickstarter for that, and uh, by all accounts, it's amazing. I, I, I kind of knew it was going to be right from the Kickstarter, so it should be arriving on Monday or Tuesday, and I'm just going to make it my oath because I know that I'm going to get it straight to the table. So I, Stephen Shivers, swear to play Destinies when it arrives. Uh, what about you, Mike? So my last oath was to play the networks. And I just want to say the networks is a great game from what I've heard about in the reviews I've been watching, trying to learn it and haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, so I have failed that oath. <laughs> did you like that? I like that. I um, so no, life's been a bit crazy and I've been doing my research on how to play it. So I feel ready to play it. I just need to be in one spot long enough with more than two people to try to get that to the table. So that'll happen soon. But in board game barbecue tradition, I am going to double down and add another game to my oaths. Um, so the game I'm going to add, I actually wake up to a message from my new good friend, Lincoln from game night. Um, the other day, Go he's off. like, so he, I got a name <laughs> drop. Yeah, man. I think it's awesome. Um, hey, you threw Isaac in earlier, Sarah. Ah, yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> he was in the show. I didn't say he was my best friend now. <laughs> I think he's my good friend. Uh, well, he, he wanted to reach out because uh, he talked me into buying a game that I'd never heard of before, and that is Carnival Zombie. And he, he mentioned it a bunch of times during and after our conversation that we recorded and it just sounded really cool. And he kept saying, man, I think you'll really like Carnival Zombie. So I found a copy of it because it, it is out of print as um, second edition is coming out. I think someone's dropping some stuff. Um, <laughs> second edition I'm is too coming excited. out. <laughs> uh, but I found a copy of the first edition and it's a cooperative game where, to my understanding, you're in Venice on a holiday and then all of a sudden a leviathan and zombie apocalypse just erupts from under the underneath you and you sort of need a almost almost like a tower defense i think where sort of zombies are coming at you and you have to sort of fight them off and keep them at bay while you try to find a way to leave the city um sounds really unique and and exciting and i don't mind me some zombies we all know so um yeah and he asked if i'd played it yet and i, and I want to talk about it with him because you know it sounds exciting and he really recommended it, and I think he knows a few games. So uh, I'm really excited to try Carnival Zombies. So I'm Michael Faruja. By the time I'm on the podcast next, which I'm hoping is at least a few weeks away to give me a chance, uh, we'll have played the networks and moved on to Carnival Zombie as well. Uh, that's that's really good, Lincoln's mate. That's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> um Mo, did you want to join in on this madness and uh, swear an oath to do something? Well, I like your idea of losing weight to buy board games. So I think first thing I need to do is eat a lot so that I have. <laughs> put on the weight first. <laughs> yeah, put on the weight I like first the and then, you know, start losing the weight so I can get more games. I think that's a good oath for me. So <laughs> I, that's what I'm going to go for. Okay. <laughs> well, do let us know <laughs> how that goes. Oh, I guarantee I, like you I can gain the, the weight. No problem. Right 
Uh, so like we'll catch up with you in a few weeks. You're like, I put on 10 kilos, I'm ready. Us, yeah, show us the photos <laughs> with you like eating burgers or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. For sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, well, um, fair enough. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go to Sarah next then. How are you going, Sarah? Oh, yeah, not too bad. Like I've got my, my challenges um, that I'm working on and <laughs> I think I said last time it's like chasing a rainbow, um, which it is a little bit, but I'm getting somewhere. I've actually, the the past couple of Mondays, I've been playing Mage Knight on TTS, um, teaching and playing it. So um, that might also just be something I do um, from now on. So if you're ever like hanging out in the Discord and you want to try Mage Knight, let me know. Um, so I'm catching up with those ones. And the uh, other oath I had was to play Kashgar, Kashgar. Merchants of the Silk Road, which was a game that Mike was talking about in the Discord, and <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that looks good. That looks like something I like um, because it's dry as, <laughs> but um, mechanically it's really interesting." So I don't want to talk too much about it because I think I'm going to sizzle it because I really like it. So, um, so I'll just leave that one there, I think, and then it, uh, and my next one will be to learn and teach my partner a new game that I bought for him, which was another Kinesia game. He's a bit of a Kinesia nut. And this was the last one I could find in Australia of Stevenson's Rocket, which is a Kinesia wow. train game. Yeah, and it's um, it's uh, published by Grail Games. They make, uh, which Kashgar is as well. I'm on a bit of a Grail Games uh train at the moment they're australian producers they are an australian publisher yeah but they've decided for whatever reason not to continue the license for um some of the kinesia games so they're not going to do reprints um and they've done some really nice um versions of his game so that's kind of a bit sad which is why i was like oh i need to get this game because we don't have it yet so yeah i managed to snag a copy um so yeah i sarah green swear to teach and play uh stevenson's rocket by the next time on the podcast Awesome. Now, I, I, will, I gotta let everyone know because there was a big bang during Mike's discussion. Yeah, are you okay? Um, and it was, um, it, it's made me want to vote for Barrage more now because what it was was my cat pulling down all of my camping gear from the rack oh, in my yeah. garage. <laughs> there is stuff everywhere. Um, so, yeah, Barrage, what a great game. Um, <laughs> Steve has a cat, which trouble. means he must have a heart. So, you know, that shows you something. Uh, uh. <laughs> Anyway, um, well, that's the last oath, and that will be that'll bring us to the end of the show. Uh, before we finish, though, I just want to say a huge thanks uh, to Mo for joining us. Yeah, yeah thanks thank a lot. you that for having great. me. Thanks, buddy. And I am very keen, Sarah. The next time we catch up, I need to play this game. I know we were yeah. supposed to do it in Sydney, but time got away from us. But uh, yeah, we yeah, can I'm play it on TTS as well. Yeah, cool. Uh, and also, yeah, big thanks to Sarah and Mike. Thank you, You're mate. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, and, uh, but no, that's, that'll that'll finish us up for the show. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers.